0: Just had an interesting phenomenon of actually having an in-person meeting where the next meeting starts immediately, right? We've forgotten to allow for the fact that you have to actually like walk between these locations. Couldn't you have launched Teams call like while you're walking back to your office? I've seen a lot of that. I'm like, hey, you can wait like 45 seconds to get back to your office. I don't need you to like launch this. If you're, you know, walking through the parking deck.
1: And I've heard of some organizations that are starting to start meetings five minutes after the hour that give people time. But at the same time, if you know your meeting's starting five minutes after the hour, you're probably going to let the last meeting run over the hour.
0: It's like closet space. I mean, you're going to use as much as you have. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 315 of Touchpoint. As always, that is Chris Boyer. And as always, this is Reed Smith. I think always. Yeah, you've always been Reed Smith, haven't you? I have always been Reed Smith. I've always been a co-host of the show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm checking myself, and I have always been Chris Boyer. So I think we're good today.
0: This isn't like the Dukes of Hazzard where you had the cousins show up for a while, Coy and Vance, and then, the, you know, the <laughs> and Luke came back later, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, so, man. Well, welcome one and all. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back for another episode. I hope you've come back. If you're new, welcome. If you've returned, uh, we certainly appreciate that. I don't know why, but here as of late, not even in the new year, but the last six months, let's say, I feel like we have heard uh, over and over again from folks via LinkedIn or in person or, you know, conversations, you know, people listening to the show. And so anyway, it's really, really nice to, to hear all of these episodes in. So if you'd like to know more about the other 314 episodes, you can find out more about those and many things uh, that you might find interesting on other shows over at our website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is the website. And again, you can check out the show, but you can also sign up for what's called the TPS report. And if you uh, navigate up to the top there, you'll see it, name, email address. And what that does is get you one email at the beginning of each week from us with five articles to kick things off. So we try to curate that over the course of a week's time. And hopefully it's uh, content that... uh, uh, you find valuable and will value add for the show. So we'll, uh, we'll pause here, let you go do that and be back with today's topic. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors'.
1: Sure is. And read. consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum
0: four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's
1: the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today's episode, read was actually inspired by a comic I sent you earlier today that was actually posted by a good friend of the show and a person who formerly was a host of one of uh, Touchpoint Media's podcasts, uh, E-Patient Dave, Dave DeBroncart. Oh, yeah. He posted this article, and it's funny. It has two people standing by the grave it's it's already taken a dark turn but uh, <laughs> and the and the widow apparently she's dressed in black is tr- speaking to the other person that said in order to make an appointment he first had to update his operating system download an app get a username choose a password log into a health portal navigate to messages and write his doctor and by then it was too late but that really is a state of the state of sometimes the user experiences that we have in healthcare wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, it probably hits a little too close to home or a little too realistic or something but yeah, I mean it really is and I think that's what about today was marketing is fine and good. acquisition is fine and good, but sometimes you know, what we're asking the consumer to do, you know, we make things way too convoluted right or way too hard or you know kind of however you want to or both it's not clear. And I think this has become more and more apparent over the last few years. I don't, at what point do we stop talking about the pandemic? Is that, how far out do we have to get? I, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're just ending the triple demic is what I'm hearing. So there's oh, that. <laughs> but in any case, it, it really does, I think, highlight or continue to highlight, you know, where we are, right? And, and kind of how far we are from really having that heightened consumer experience. Right. And and again, not to virtue signal, but
1: obviously we want to have a consumer driven healthcare environment. We want to put patients at the center of what we do, and we want to build things to make it so much easier. I mean, that's kind of the spirit of everything that we do. But unfortunately, we do often find ourselves making things harder on the patients, and that prevents us from feeling like we're advancing closer and closer to the promise of healthcare consumerism. So today, Reed, why don't we kind of break down this topic of why we make things so hard, and let's first start with patients and healthcare consumers, so to speak. It's always good to understand what they want, to help us to
0: understand if we're getting closer to what they want. So, you know, in everything else in life, I mean, you think about like your kids, you ask them what, you know, hey, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday, et cetera? And I think we've asked the consumer at different times, like, what do you want? And certainly they do this uh, like in, in in retail or, you know, CPG, you know, other types of industries, right? But this article that you found from some CVS, you know, that kind of talks about, you know, what the consumer wants, I think is interesting. I I think at a very broad level, if you just kind of ask me, right, without me looking at anything, like, you know, what do consumers want? You know, things that come to mind for me are words like, you know, convenience. And again, it's a little bit of a sliding scale based on the level of acuity or the chronicness or chronic condition that we might be talking about. But you get into things like empathy or clear direction.
1: I also think about, like, we want it to be not as expensive. We want it to be from high quality providers. There's a variety of things that over the years, I think you and I kind of, we we reach into the recesses of our mind. And remember, these are things that come up often in consumer studies. And don't get me wrong, we do a lot of polling on the experience of our patients and our health systems and stuff like that. But the CVS study, it's called Healthcare Insights Study from 2022. They have some interesting insights. And I think I particularly like the fact that CVS is doing this because they have a decidedly consumer-centric mindset.
0: It's interesting, right? Because it is more of a retail-based application. But I think that is actually probably a good thing. Yeah, I think that's the way people are thinking about things. Instead of trying to force people into like our model or our thought process, moving towards that mindset is I think where we're starting to find and starting to see a lot of organizations uh, do that, right? One thing I thought was interesting that they called out in here was that providers, consumers, uh, both, you know, seek higher levels of engagement via communications,
1: they want to have that two-way communication between patients. Yeah, I call out a stat that they said sixty percent of consumers that are taking some kind of medication for a complex condition want to have ongoing communication between their primary care physician and themselves.
0: They feel that's very important. And just simplicity. People are looking for you know clear. You talk about communications, but just as a whole, even the care delivery piece. How is it clear, simple, effective? Where do I go? What do I do?
1: Healthcare is a very complex thing if you're in the middle of it, and particularly when you're maybe emotionally in a state where you don't want to be thinking too hard about this. You want to do whatever it takes to, to feel better. You know, another good insight that they kind of illustrate here is that patients value deeper and more meaningful relationships with primary care doctors and other providers. And they find that virtual is a way to fill that gap. And they really see virtual and telemedicine as a way to have that relationship now with their primary care doctor.
0: Yeah, I think that's, again, people want to be known, want to be seen, heard, you know, that kind of thing, which kind of bleeds into some of their other thoughts around that people want their PCPs to understand you know, their personal goals and lifestyle choices or medical history, again, more of a personal relationship, right? So these things kind of go hand in hand. People are probably in recent history used to the hectic in out. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? So you're feeling a little under the weather today. You know, it's like that whole, I mean, it's sick care, right? It's not, it's not well care. So again, people want that connection from their PCP to really understand them more holistically,
1: to align to that, read and I guess that kind of these all these insights are kind of building up on top of each other. They're very open; patients are to having their health information shared across multiple different care settings in order to get that seamless continuity of care. So they want to have a similar conversation with their primary care doctor, and then if they go pick up the prescription at a CVS or even a local pharmacy, for that knowledge transfer to occur they don't see that as two distinct care settings. To them, that coordination is so important.
0: More fun to talk about is what they complain about. It's not more fun to talk about, but you did find an article that that goes through, well, that's from issuetrack.com, which is an exciting website in and of itself. But anyway, they call it the five most common patient complaints in healthcare. So again, think about this as it relates to what we just talked about, you know, CVS, uh, you know what they found was, you know, people want a deeper, more meaningful connection to people they trust that understand who they are. That, in and of itself, is a big topic to solve for. Maybe I guess, and so just think about that as it relates to these common complaints. So, like for example, the first one, it's like I could probably ask everybody the top complaint and. <laughs> not, not you know, gonna say this you know especially if you are in marketing and have any oversight of like reputation management and like comments that are coming in and that kind of stuff but is wait times we all know you sit in a waiting room whether that be the ER or your doctor's office or uh, what in the car you know here in yeah, recent, yeah. In, memory, in recent memory you know waiting to go in or, or whatever it is Waiting has naturally been a part of the healthcare experience to the point that, like, people just have that expectation to some extent, but it's, they still don't meet the needs, right? So, again, wait times, if you think about that—is like, you know, if people know who I am and care about me and want to take care of me, you know, that, that kind of thing, it doesn't match up real well. Like, that doesn't equate to, like, trust and, and care and, you know, that kind of thing.
1: No, not at all, at, or let alone convenience, I just think there's a whole cottage industry that kind of stood up because of these long wait times. And those are those digital signs and screens oh, in, the, in the wait rooms, right? I mean, I'm like, okay. And, you know, being the owner of digital signage in our health system, I always question, like, really, can? W- why do we need to do this, right? Why do we need to keep cycling 25 slides, you know, to people that are sitting there waiting 45 minutes to see their doctor? Okay, here's the number two issue that got reported. Issues with staff members. It's about professional and compassionate bedside manner. Oftentimes that falls short, interacting with rude, dismissive, disorganized, and otherwise subpar healthcare workers. And not just the patients. It could be the front staff. It could be the nurse. It could be whatever. Now, match that back to what CVS said, right, about they want to have these deeper and meaningful relationships with their providers. Well, that is a clear line of like where there is a problem
0: here. I mean, we've always talked about the fact that people are much more concerned about how they're treated as a person, not how their disease is treated. And that's what this is speaking to. I'm not saying that if you need to have heart surgery, that you're more concerned with how nice the surgeon is versus if he is successful at his, his, you know, at at the procedure itself, that's obviously not true. Uh, If I had to pick one, I'd pick the like, Hey, you're, the best surgeon in the world, but they are, they are very much concerned about how they're treated as, as people. The third one, again, kind of goes back to the first thing, the long wait times, but the amount of time spent with the doctor. So conversely, it's like, you know, I have to wait forever, but I don't have long enough with the provider. It's like, you know, PCP they're seeing like four people an hour, you know, so 15 minutes. Well, you don't get 15 minutes with the doctor, They come in, they leave, nurse comes in, the nurse leaves, you're laying around, sitting around, the doctor comes back in right at the end, you know, I mean, so again, you know, the amount of time spent with the doctor. So again, back to like knowing me as a person, trusting, you know, holistically, you being invested in my healthcare, uh, you can see kind of where this one comes in.
1: Direct line to that telehealth is a way to have that personal relationship with your doctor. But as we talked about at the start of the show, right, I guess we have to start to account for walking time between offices or between patient rooms, right? (laughs) We've got to make that much better. Okay, number four, and I'm surprised it's number four, but it is complaint, insurance and billing. Sure. Of course, there's costs, but it's this whole thing about we don't want to surprise people about what their bill is. And we don't want them to have to deal with insurance. And by the way, insurance is are a whole different thing, right? I, I recently went to the doctor for my son and you know they said, well, you have an insurance problem at the, at the clinic. And I said, okay, can you resolve that? And of course I knew they couldn't. They said, no, it's incumbent upon you to call the insurance company to resolve this, right? I think that insurance and billing is a huge, huge thing here that we have to keep in mind that people are getting hurt in their pocketbook by the cost of care. And why do we make it so difficult for them?
0: Well, this goes into the last one a little bit here, which is, you know, lack of communication and dismissiveness, you know, because again, when you're trying to solve for the billing issue or the amount of time you spend with your doctor or issues or wait times or whatever, um, a lot of it could be alleviated if we communicated more effectively or really listened. And I'll even just say act interested. I mean, you don't even have to be interested It's a big one, right? I mean, the billing thing, it's like, you know, shocker here. Like, we can't tell you what it's going to cost. And we're going to make you talk to like, you know, 47 different people that aren't even part of the system that you're dealing with. you know, to figure out like how to pay it. Anyway, so as you see, these are not, most of you listening probably could have come up with these off the top of your head, wait times, whether you're waiting too long or not getting enough time, experience or, you know, issues with staff. Uh, insurance, billing, dismissiveness, et cetera. So all things that I think we can actually make some progress towards, however. We
1: can. However, we still have some challenges in our system, in the way the healthcare system is set up. After the break, we're going to come back and talk about some of these things where maybe a good way to say it, some of these necessary evils or some of these you know, things that are just challenges that are going to be hard to overcome in our space. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front-row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Okay, Reed, we are talking about why do we make it so hard for patients to interact with us? we kind of talked about some of the things that they really like and some of the things that they don't like. Now let's talk about our industry. We'll kind of look inside of ourselves. And let's figure out why is it so hard? Why are we making it so hard for ourselves? And I I think you and I have a lot of great personal anecdotes about this. But there's also, um, we're going to use as part of this conversation, an article that was published on the School of Public Health at uh, at the Harvard Medical School, and it's called Eight Challenges to Consumer-Driven Healthcare. We know that there's challenges in our industry, Reed, right? We know that there are things that make it difficult for us to be consumer-driven, to be the Amazon, to be the CVS. And so one of the first things that this article calls out is one that I also thought about, too, when I was making my own list before reading the article, which is the whole concept around data and privacy. In this article, they interview uh, John Quelch, who's a professor of health policy and management at the, at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And he actually indicated that if you want to develop a customer-driven strategy, he says, you have to have data on the customer. And it's clear that we have to have perfect information about those individuals in order for us to provide that perfectly tailored support. But we all know that's something that we can't
0: do in our space. We're always going to struggle with the privacy piece, but this idea of like knowing someone and communicating with them requires us to know something about them to communicate with them, right? So you're in this weird spot of like, look, I'd like to be you know, giving you personalized content and context and all that kind of stuff, but it's uh, it's hard. And I think that's where your EMR comes in in a lot of cases. And you start 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 looking at reactivation of people you already know versus just purely the acquisition strategies that make it harder because of some of the privacy pieces. Next thing on the list they talk about is fragmented data. I mean. We saw people using paper charts. I mean, the idea that, you know, we could get all the information in one place in this industry is is tough. If you happen to be out of town and feel bad and pop into an urgent care, they have no idea who you are. Right. Right. It's, it's going to be really hard in any reasonable way, in a timely fashion, certainly, to get quote unquote your information to that location, right? So they do know who you are. So... Again, the fragmentation of the data is something that just is going to have to be refined over time. It
1: sure is. And I know that there are some EMR companies that say, well, you know, since they're in 80% of all health systems, that you could just create your own data and it could transfer it back and forth. But they put all that burden on the person, on the consumer. It's not like in other consumer-driven industries like Amazon – if they have your credit card, they can have access to a bunch of different information about you, and they can start to personalize just by your credit card number. Which don't get scared, but that's what they do, right? They know that, and we can't do that in our space. We're too much of a regulated industry, as we talked about, and so we don't have these big health information exchanges. And heaven forbid you go overseas and you you ha- you get a, you know have to go see a doctor. We don't even have universal health information that exchanges around. Here's one that I, that didn't spring to mind, but it it make my brain think a little bit. You have to convince consumers there is a choice. I think that even though we talk a lot about healthcare consumers, I don't think healthcare consumers feel they have a huge amount of choice. And John Quelch, as I talked about, he actually says here that many consumers are skittish and confused or simply don't know, nor do they have the time to invest to make those choices.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: While we are all about healthcare consumerism and giving them choice, not a lot of people are actually taking that choice, nor do they really feel they should.
0: Well, the next one on the list, which I think is really interesting. And I mean, it's a big, not an issue, I guess, but it is a big piece of uh, this hard to solve for, which is that healthcare, as they call it here in the article, a grudge purchase yeah, Yeah. Oh, Nobody's uh, super excited, right? About, again, the sick care piece. Now, I think labor and delivery, you could probably carve out at least for 99% of folks. Like, that's not necessarily a grudge purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not mm-hmm. excited about spending the money, but, you know, you're, it's a good experience. You're leaving with something that makes your life better and you're excited about, again, in most cases and all that kind of good stuff. So, that aside, though, like nobody's like, man, I cannot wait to get a new knee. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, I've been I've been researching the best knees out there, and I am going to get the Model XC six hundred when I'm getting yeah, my knee replaced. Man, that
0: tip <laughs> Bo Jackson got back in the early nineties. <laughs> uh, look how far the technology's come since then. Nobody's doing that, right? This is not a television or whatever. So, again, we're trying to convince people from a utilization standpoint, that's something they don't really want to talk about or think about or terribly excited about. That's
1: so true. We talk about that a lot, right? I used to joke that in healthcare, there are only two other industries where people are less excited to make a purchase. The first is a mortuary, and the second is lawyers. And then there's healthcare, (laughs) right? It's like, that's where we're at. That's That's right. And related to this, very similar, is the fifth point that, that they bring up in the article is that healthcare is what they call a quote unquote experience good. You can only really appreciate all of the different choices that you actually do have when you experience them. So it's not like you're you know all the choices that you can make. In fact Oftentimes, if you're going through a healthcare experience, you know, maybe you go from very simple, going to go to a primary care doctor, and then they refer you for a, a scan, and then the scanner says, oh, I think we need to, you know, do this or whatever. These decisions are happening real time. And it isn't like you were predicting them, and it isn't like you're ready for them. And so what you're doing is you're just kind of experiencing it in the moment. The whole point around that is, is that you can't really understand what is a good experience or not, you're only left with after that experience happens, having a value judgment about it. Why is that so hard for us is because how can we provide all these choices to them when we don't even know where their care is going?
0: Next thing on the list is the lagging of uh, the technology. So consumer technology obviously is not up to par uh, with the rest of their lives. We've talked at nauseam about this. I won't spend a ton of time on it, but I think there's a ton of opportunity here, maybe the easiest place to catch up in a lot of ways. One thing they kind of call out, I'm never, I don't know that I've thought about it in quite this way, but they're talking about like a 35-year-old consumer from 25 years ago, let's say, is different than a 35-year-old consumer today. You know, We like to talk a lot about today's consumer, You know, the 65-year-old being different than the 20-year-old and that kind of thing you know, what the expectation was back then, quote unquote, versus now, uh, is very different. And the industry is not kept up with that evolution, if that makes any sense, like the rest of the world or the rest of their lives have. So,
1: Yeah, that's an interesting insight. We're kind of painting a dire picture here, right? But these are things that we are, are kind of like necessary evils in our industry that we have to understand and appreciate. Here's the other one. Healthcare consumers... Are like, as the article calls them, snowflakes. They're uh, all uniquely different.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I we a different generation there for a
1: but I get it. Look, we, we talked a lot, we talk a lot about personas and being able to try, try to draw look alike groups. And we're using that kind of concept based on other industries that have that, where you can kind of create you know, different persona groups and you could say people that are 35 to 50, they purchase this way or, or what have you. I think that's really important to understand. And I'm not saying persona work is not good. It's very important. But in this particular case... While we have clusters of consumers who share things around attitudes and around behaviors and around opinions, and we can even like look at a person who gets diagnosed by this procedure will then need this kind of care, and we can kind of develop these persona groupings. The article points out that there is no homogeneity either in the way consumers approach healthcare decision-making or in the way that we deliver healthcare you know, this whole concept of, like, you know, there's multiple different customer journeys to take. Well, this is just reinforcing that. This is a challenge that we have. So both on the way people make decisions and, and also on the way we deliver care, it's very, very hard to draw these very s- simple and, and repeatable customer
0: journeys. Well, last thing they call out, and again, won't spend a ton of time on this, is the inaccessibility uh, so, we talked about it earlier with the physicians, you have know, the less face time, for example. And so, you know, you can't just ping your doctor like you would other subject matter experts in your life, whether that be a, a banker, for example, or a lawyer or something like that, you know, somebody that's got an expertise that you don't have. You don't have that ability with a doctor um, to just ask questions and that stuff just anytime you want. So, um, interesting, interesting
1: list. When we come back from the break, Reed, very quickly, we're, you and I are going to touch on a little bit about, well, how are we going to bridge the gap, right? We got to bridge the gap, but what are ways we could do this? And we'll just talk a little bit about how we could take these challenges and turn them into opportunities. We'll do that right after this break.
0: All right. So, what do we do now? <laughs> well, nothing. <laughs> so Based on all of this, I'm uh, changing careers. No. I think there, there is an opportunity. I think we are having some really interesting conversations around consumerism or the consumer experience and understanding that it stretches broadly outside of just the marketing department. And so typically where there is challenge, there is opportunity. There certainly is. We
1: understand that UX UI is a very important thing. Understanding the user experience and uh, user interfaces is going to be very helpful for us to help us to cross that gap. And we found a, another article that is called How to Turn Healthcare Consumerism Challenge into an Opportunity. And I think the points that they bring up here actually make a lot of sense. One of the first things they say is you have to make the best use of your insights into what your customer is. Like we started this episode talking about what customers generally want, but you in your own market area have the best Ability to understand that knowledge, whether you're building an online appointment scheduling tool, whether you're building a whole different way that you're re-architecting your service line to meet the new consumer that's in your market, consumer insights is critical. And we, this is something that is not new to those organizations that are or industries that are consumer centric. They use personalized consumer information to drive that decision making. Of course, we have limitations about what we can gather, but you, as your own healthcare entity in your market, should have the ability to tap into that information.
0: That's right. Where we really do have an advantage, you know. And so, how do you move from being uh, data rich and insight poor, right, as we like mm-hmm. to talk about, to really using this information to to better a process or to meet a consumer where they are? Next thing they've got on the list is really the delivery of convenience, you know, creating convenience. I think, you know, the use of telehealth and virtual, you know, we were shown during the pandemic can work. I know it's gone back down and, you know, the, you know, the day-to-day utilization is maybe down from where it was back then. But it's like, what do we, you know, what, what options do we have? How does this fit in? How do we better serve, you know, our populations It could be ways around social determinants of health or some of the remote patient monitoring around chronic conditions and things like that. So how do you create convenience within your system?
1: I think that's so critical. I mean, we're not talking about you have to make everything accessible. We know that it might be very difficult to get into your transplant program. That's notoriously difficult. There are some things that are going to be very difficult to do, but there are other things that you could do to maybe take a couple of steps off of their journey. You did some analysis of a person, you know, trying to sign up for a program.
0: Well, yeah, I've looked, of course, being a consultant for years, you know, you get to involve in all different types of projects and things like that. And so, you know, one opportunity was to look at a bariatrics program at a particular hospital and you know, it was like, you know, market, we need more marketing, right? We've got more competitors now. Uh, We've got more opportunities for folks. Our case volume is going down. We need more marketing. It's like, okay, well maybe, you know, and so start kind of looking at it. And turns out all the marketing KPIs, impressions and click-through rates and all that stuff were up, like pretty substantially as case volume was going down. So, So you started kind of digging in further and realized that like, operationally, to become a patient, we were making it extremely hard. This organization was making it extremely hard on these individuals where it was there were were like seven steps and like 200 data fields that you had to like go through and fill out before somebody even talked to you. Now, I get it. Bariatrics, there, there are certain things that have to be done from an insurance perspective, you know, yada, yada, yada. I get that. Do you need them to do all those steps before you even talk to them? You know, you know that thing? Anyway, it's just it's just an interesting observation and, and potential opportunity.
1: That also illustrates a couple of other points, right? Sometimes there is necessary friction with us, too. Like with uh, primary care, we had the ability for the person to choose the primary care insurance that they have when they're booking an appointment online. But you have to validate that. Unfortunately, you have to, oftentimes you have to have that validation occur directly. So what we did is we kind of reframed the approach that through the online appointment scheduling and indicate you submit this information, the next step will be someone will reach out to you to validate your appointment. And suddenly now what you're doing is you're being a little bit more consumer friendly, even though there's that necessary frictional step in between. These are some little things that can go a long way. I think the other thing that your point illustrated, Reed, is that marketing is not the sole owner of the journey, right? We all are owners of the journey. And so one of the things that I think is critical to help cross the the, the gap, so to speak, is to do that full robust journey like you just described. Lay that out and say what are ways? Bring the clinical teams in, bring the you know, the administrators in walk it through and say, what can we do to make it easier for the customer, make it easier for our patient, right? It takes a village
0: in some cases to get people there. Well, and again, as a good consultant does, you know, I went and looked at a whole bunch of other websites out there that have (laughs) psychiatric programs. And what I started realizing was, I'm not sure anybody does it super well, right? Like if you don't, know the steps. You know, I look at all these websites and like not one of them could I figure out what the process was. Like, where do I start? What's step one? Then what? Then what? Then what? You know, there was no clear way to figure out some of these things. There were a few like, "Hey, give us some information and we'll call you. And it was like, well, okay, but what if I just want to know like how this works? Like what's the process? And so anyway, we, we're we're potentially, you know, needing to kind of take a step back and and reimagine, you know, kind of how we're communicating with the consumer and that it's about them and not about us. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I think that really speaks to the point of like when we start to close that gap between what the consumer wants and what we can deliver to them, there are a lot of opportunities for us to meet that need of the healthcare consumer. Are we going to become Amazon or CVS overnight? I don't think we are. There's a long journey ahead. But wherever, wherever best we could do it, it really is in, inspiring for us to be able to close those gaps. I find a lot of value in doing that. I'm sure you yeah. do too. Yeah, for sure. So when we come back, Reed, we'll close out the show.
0: right to wrap up the show great episode i um, think we'll you know obviously continue to talk more and more and maybe even specifically around certain areas of the consumer experience but this idea of you know some of this may be self-inflicted is uh, is kind of an interesting thought process and exercise to go through. So good topic. Uh, sign up for the TPS report. We also have links in there to industry conferences that are coming up. And Chris and I will be talking a little bit more about, you know, where we may be attending and speaking and all that kind of fun stuff. As it gets a little closer to time. But uh, if you'll sign up for the TPS report, uh, you know, a couple of articles to start your week, a couple of links to industry conferences, and away you go. What do you have for a uh, recommendation today? Okay, Reed. Well, it's
1: inevitable being a new parent that I'm going to start recommending things that are related to parenthood. But I found something really interesting for those of you that are, are going down this path, even you know, not even a firstborn, but secondborn, etc. There is this great book called The Wonder Weeks, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard about this, but it, basically, The Wonder Weeks is a book about baby development. They say that within the first two years of a baby's life they develop significantly. They go through what they call leaps, development leaps. This whole book that kind of talks about these leaps, they're cognitive leaps where the baby learns different things at certain times, right, and how they grow, et cetera. A friend of ours lent us the book, and they also said, you know, take a look at the book, but I would really download the app. And I did. What's really interesting about this app is it's called the Wonder Weeks app that I got, right? You have to pay a little bit for it. It's nominal. It's like $5. But basically, you plug in your baby's due date. Not their the born date, but the date that they were planned to be due. That's right, what the doctor said, right? And then it maps it out, and it maps out the, the baby's life and 10 leaps. It puts it into a calendar, and you can open this up, and every day it says, like today I'm opening it up, and it says that my son is five days away from his second leap.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And then it shows you that – um, the signals of when that leap is starting to occur. He's going to start to become more irritable. He's going to start to do this, do this, whatever. And then it also tells, here's what the baby is going to be learning during this leap. And the leap usually takes about you know 10 days. At the end of the sleep, he's going to be able to put together patterns. He's going to be able to recognize your face and start to see that your face is the face of daddy. And also gives you games that you can play with your, your infant or your newborn at the time to help them Cognitively start to use these skills, right? Nice. I'm going to tell you, not only is it cool, is it interactive? It checks all the boxes of the things that I like of having an app that's pragmatic and useful and interactive and you can do things. It's eerily dead on. I'm going to say the first leap it predicted. The baby was in it. The day it said it was, my son was in the leap. I'm already looking forward to leap two, to leap three, to leap four, because I know that in the near future, right, he's going to be able to do sign language and then other things, right? And so I really recommend it for new parents. The Wonder Weeks is a book, but the app is what I'm really strongly recommending. That's my recommendation today.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm gonna, mine's going to be short and sweet, only because we're in the NFL playoffs. I am recommending FanDuel. So, any of you that are not gamblers and would like to start gambling, um, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's a, a fun way to make the games more interesting. All kinds of weird prop bets and stuff like that in there. But you know, put twenty bucks in or something like that, and once you bet five dollars, you get one hundred and fifty dollars worth of free bets. Whoa. And so it's kind of fun where you're not really at risk for much of anything, but it makes the games kind of fun and interesting to watch if there aren't teams that you're super invested in. But, you know, right now with the playoffs, um, it's a it's a good time to sign up and do that because there's a lot of games going on. So anyway, FanDuel, neat app. Well done. Uh, Check it out. Love it. Great. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for telling a friend. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you and look forward to uh, having you back next week. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.